Well, good morning. This is a bit of a bonus podcast. Uh, we don't have a, a full audience this morning. But uh, what we're going to do is delve in in Hebrews a, l- a bit to a verse that we have covered but didn't stop and dwell on that has, uh, I think, some really astonishing uh, ramifications. And it's in Hebrews 12, if you want to turn with us uh, in Hebrews 12. Uh, As you're turning there and in preparation, let me just remind of the uh, basic outline of getting up to Hebrews chapter 12. You know, we've had six betters and a word mixed with faith that is a seventh better, which is a better way. And the six betters are a better priest with a better sacrifice and uh, under a better covenant, a better a better system. And that's Jesus as Melchizedek, a priest of a higher order than the Levitical priest, uh, a sacrifice of himself that unlike the sacrifices uh, of the Levitical system have to be offered over and over again. And unlike the sacrifice of Abel, actually uh, is once and for all. Uh, And the new covenant is a better way of living, not toppling the law, because the law was good and right, but it was ineffective. And the new covenant is the law written on our hearts. So now we're living from the inside out, a new and better priesthood with a better priest. Not only is it a better priest with a better sacrifice under a better covenant for us, we also are asked to participate in this ministry as we enter the Holy of Holies in heaven through the grace of God and the veil that is the body of Christ. We actually enter the temple of God to find grace to help in time of need through prayer and through uh, faith of entering God in personal relationship with him and actually intercede for our own conscience and for the um, a benefit of others. Three betters, that is a better priesthood. And then the other three betters is a better king, a better leader, a better captain with um, a better administration, It's going to give us a better world. Jesus came as king of the Jews. He was rejected as king of the Jews. Uh, He came to restore the kingdom of Israel in a physical and tangible way. When that was rejected, uh, his kingdom was divided. And he told Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my, my, uh, my subjects would fight for me. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. So we have a divided kingdom for a time. And this new king has a different approach than the earthly kings we're familiar with. This new king came to serve, not to be served. And he came to give his life that we might prosper. And he's established this way as a new and better way. And the administration that he wants to have of people helping him serve is us as believers. And this is a restoration of really staggering proportions. Because as we saw in Hebrews 2, delving into Psalm chapter 8, our original purpose and design was to rule and reign over the earth in perfect harmony with God, in perfect harmony with one another, in perfect harmony with all creation, with nature. That was our original purpose, even though we're made a little lower than the angels. But that's not what's happening right now, Hebrews 2 told us. We don't see that. But we do see Jesus, who, for the suffering of death, was crowned with glory and honor. And part of this opportunity we have to join this administration is to be a part of making a better world. We make it a better world now just by serving. Serving is not going to eliminate death and it's not going to eliminate evil. 
But it's going to substantially make the world a better place. It's going to reduce death. It's going to reduce evil. And we're preparing ourselves through the faith, walk of faith with Jesus, to actually participate with him in the new earth in that manner. And that's the greatest reward we can have for a faithful life. So that gives us to the seventh better, seventh better, which is a better way to live in this life, which is based on a word mixed with faith. If we believe that Jesus is Melchizedek in this higher priesthood, and we believe that Jesus is the king with this new administration in a new and better way, we, we believe the law written on our hearts. We follow the spirit that's leading. We enter the holy place to have our hearts cleansed with the blood of Jesus and our conscience cleansed so we can do good works. We believe that serving and loving is a better way and it's it's actually bringing life to the earth and we live that by faith. None of this is none of this is tangibly guaranteed. It's all guaranteed through the word of God. Then we are actually following the path that Jesus blazed. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this Paul gives us a significant number of Old Testament saints who believed God and were rewarded for that belief. And, and the point of chapter 11 is if you believe, you'll get your reward, but not necessarily now. So then we get to chapter 12. And we began to culminate the illustration of what it looks like to live a life of faith. Um, let's just look at 11.1 just to get the context of 12 because 12 is going to give us the premier example of what it looks like to live with faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we got evidence that's invisible. That's why it requires faith. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And that's what he's going to give here in chapter 11, the testimony. By faith, we understand the worlds or the ages were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen, tangible world, history, as it's happening, we're not made of things which are visible. And we know from Genesis that actually these things were spoken into existence, which goes back to the word mixed with faith. And then he starts the, the uh, illustrations. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Not as good as Jesus. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through, though through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so he did not see death and was not found. Because God had taken him, but for before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. And this is the real goal of this walk mixed with faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. This is how we please God. Doing, believing what he says, and doing it. For he who comes to God must believe two things. One, he is. Now one of the major problems we have as humans is substituting what we want God to be in place of who he actually is. And a big part of what we're doing here in Hebrews is coming to know the heart of God. So the first thing you've got to believe is that he is. He is who he says he is. He is who he is, not who we desire him to be. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We all pursue what we perceive to be in our self-interest. Hebrews is telling us that laying down our lives, serving others, laying aside our sinful desires, and in, instead approaching the throne of grace to find help in time of need and getting a cleansed conscience is in our best interest. And he's going and proving it here. So we get to the end of 11 and the ultimate example is Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Abel, Enoch, Moses, all these people, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we've talked about this verse before, and let's just summarize what it says, and then we're going to really dig into what this despising the shame really means and how we might personalize that for our own life. So we're surrounded by all these great witnesses, these great examples. And the desire for Paul here is for us to do the same thing Jesus did. Remember, he's, we remember from the early part of Hebrews, he's the captain or the leader of our salvation. And this salvation is not just to be born again. It's also to live and be restored to what original design was, which is to rule and reign with God in perfect harmony with creation. And the way we get there is through this walk of faith and service. So the appropriate thing for us to do is lay aside these weights and sins. Sin, of course, is basically just doing life in a way that opposes our own best interest. That's all it is. And God is telling us, look, Tim, this is what's in your best interest. And my tendency is to say, "Mm, no, I've got a better way. I think maybe in child-rearing terms, I might have made it to be about seven years old now. Uh, I think I've gotten past the three, two, three-year-old kind of uh, time frame where uh, the parent goes to the child and says, really want you to start uh, pooping on the potty. And the child is, you know, no, i got a better way. Well, you know, this really stinks. People don't want to be around you. It creates diaper rash, which is really painful for yourself. Uh, and it's, re- it's really just not the best way. Yeah, yeah, but I have to stop playing. I have to interrupt my what I happen to be doing right now. And um, it's scary setting way up on that big high thing. Well, eventually, of course, we all get to the point where we realize, you know, this is just not going to work for me to be dumping in my pants. But... Um, for a while there, you just have to trust your parent that this is the right thing to do. And the parent might even uh, create little um, sticks and carrots to help you along the way. And I think I've gotten to the point where I realize that's really not in my best interest. But I still just don't understand the full scope of it, not even close. And the scripture tells us this is really beyond your ability to comprehend what God has in store for those who love him, who do what he asks them to do. But he's telling us, look at Jesus. If you'll just look at Jesus and follow what he does, you'll get to the right spot. He's the author and the finisher. He's the one that made it, and he's the one that has finished it. It's already complete. If we'll just walk this path, he's already blazed the trail for us and won the battles. And we can gain all that he gained. If we follow him, he's already done it for us. Who, for the joy set before him. So we're talking about running a race here. And I've never run a marathon. Have no have no uh, inclination to do so. But I can only imagine that there is a very enduring desire on the part of a marathon runner to get to that finish line. And the goal is... Completion, you got there, and there's and there's people congratulating you, or perhaps you won the race. And in order to do so, you got to weigh aside, you got to lay aside hindrances to be able to accomplish that. What was it that he was after? Well, it was to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. As we've uh, discussed, man was appointed 
In spite of the fact that angels are higher than us, man was appointed to rule the earth. And yet, when sin entered the world and death, that just didn't happen the way it was supposed to. Death entered the world and so division took place. And we had violence, the earth filled with violence. But Jesus, by virtue of his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice, his new and better way, actually overcame that and now has sat down. He has been given a name that's above every name. Along the way, though, he had to endure some really horrific things. He had to despise the shame. Now, let's look at this phrase, because if we're going to walk this path, we're going to have to do this same thing. And it's great for us to talk about what the joy set before us. It's actually it's vital that we do so, because that's our end goal. Uh, begin with the end in mind. This is one of the habits of effective people. And this is our end. And if we're not going to reach it, uh, typically, if we don't know we're, we're uh, um, trying to gain it. But, but right now what we're doing is enduring a lot of shame. So let's look at this word despise. The Greek word, and I'll probably butcher the pronunciation here, is kataphroneo. Kataphroneo. And the definition that Strong's gives is to think little or nothing of. Let me go to <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. And let's just go through some of these um, usages of kataphroneo. So you can get a feel for this word, kataphroneo, despise. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Do you see the point? If you have two different things, you're either going to care about one and not the other, or you're going to care, uh, care about A. If you care about A, you can't also care about B. You've got you to focus on one and not the other. So you're either going to give one a lot of, of attention and care a lot about that master and what that master thinks of you and what that master, um, uh, what pleases that master, and despise the other, not care about what the other thinks. Or vice versa. You, you can't care about what both think. It's not possible. So you can see here, not care about what it thinks. Let's go over to Matthew 18. We go to Matthew 18 and uh, verse 10, I believe. I'm going to have to find a way for my iPad to flip faster here. Sorry for the delay. Matthew 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about children. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So you've got children in the midst, and it's easy to not pay much attention or give any value to a child. After all, what can they do for you? And Jesus is saying, "Uh, uh, 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 if you have a child, somebody that can't do much for you, You really need to care a lot for them and pay a lot of attention to them because they're angels are in the presence of God. They're important. There's no such thing as little people. Uh, Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We're talking about um, judgment, judgment of God. And it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, God is good. He's really patient, passes over all kinds of problems that we have so we can grow us up. Um, He has this tremendous patience, and he's leading us to repentance. Are you going to give that no value? Are you just going to say, yeah, I know all that, but I don't care? See, it's, it's this, this idea of valuing. 
not given any value to. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 22. He's talking about um, a situation here where uh, people are coming together at church for the Lord's Supper. And there was some, apparently some sort of a competition taking place where um, one person was having uh, supper ahead of the other ones and uh, some people didn't have any food and the other ones were gorging themselves or something to that effect. And he says, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? So what he's saying there is, when you eat in the presence of people that have, have little, what you're doing is just giving no value to them. So don't, you, don't you understand where they are in life? Don't you give them any credence? Don't you give them any value? You're just giving no value to that. Uh, let's look at a couple more. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4. These are all the same word, this cataphraneo. Let's look at 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and impurity. In other words, he's talking to Timothy here who's a pastor and a young man. I, I don't know how old he was. I, I suspect he's probably 40 or something. In the Jewish culture, I don't think he really had any respect to you. About 55. <laughs> but whatever it is, it was young in that culture's context. And he says, don't let anyone give you no value and not pay attention to you and because, just because you're young. Show them by your life example that you're somebody that needs to be followed. So you, you, I think you get the the point here. Despise means it's not that that is 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 something that I hate. It's not that something that I can't stand. It's something I give no value to. It's something that I just don't care that much about. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter twelve and and let's let's with this word in mind here that we have. That's this word of <clears throat> despising. Cataphreneo. <clears throat> and let's let's just see that what it is that uh, Jesus is despising. He's despising the shame. <clears throat> so here we just think about the two masters comment again. <clears throat> We've got the two masters, and you're either going to pay a whole bunch of attention to and despise the other, or vice versa. So here's Jesus. And this is just like our lives. We've got people trying to heap shame on us. Now, why do people heap shame on you? Um, let's just talk about it for a second. Culture, by definition, our culture, is the consensus around what is shameful and what is honorable. In the American culture, one of the most shameful things you can do, absolutely completely intolerable is cut in line the principle of first come first served is a something we our culture just has absolute consensus about if you go to a grocery store and there's no law in the books there's no policeman policing this but if you go to the grocery store and you cut in line you'll get shamed for it and that's how the principle is enforced I went to a airport one time. We we got there early, unusually early for us. We were about two hours uh, in advance because we had stayed in an airport hotel. And there was a line to check in baggage. It went all the way out uh, into the garage, the parking garage. It was unbelievable. There were I bet there's 150 people in line. It was a 45 minute line. And then another line like it to get through security. It's, I don't know what happened, but it was just a complete breakdown. I didn't see one person cut in line. We waited in line an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, and not one person cut in line. It was the darnest thing I ever saw. Well, 
That's the power of culture. The power of imputing shame for certain behavior. It's powerful. And Jesus said, well, you know, your culture may give me shame, but I don't give that any value. I don't care. I, if, you, if everybody in the store comes in and castigates me for sta- breaking in line, I'm still going to break in line. Now, of course, Jesus isn't breaking in line. He's not doing something trivial like that. But you get the point. So let's look at the actual shame he endured and see if we can't uh, take it into our own lives and say, you know, how, how does that affect me? Let's look at John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Gospel of John. Jesus is going into his Passion Week. Or is in his Passion Week, I should say. And let's say in verse 3, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns to the Garden of Gethsemane, torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things would come upon him, went forward and said to him, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I'm he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. So here's Jesus. And this is one of his disciples. Who he invested in for three years. Who he grew up and trusted, even entrusted money to. And he's betraying him. It's hard for me to think of anything that's more humiliating than having someone that's supposed to be one of your primary supporters, supposed to be on your team, who has been entrusted, who has been brought into your inner circle, and now they've gone to the other side. And not only are they gone to the other side, they're leading the attack to bring you down. Man, that is tough. Do you have anybody in your life who's betrayed you? Somebody that ought to be on your side, that pledged fealty to you, and now has broken ranks and has gone to the other side? Um, That's happened to me a lot. I involve in the political world pretty substantially. I'm just going to tell you it's not all that rare. <laughs> and I can do two things. One is I can let that betrayal master me. I can focus my life on revenge. I can focus my life on bitterness. And now that betrayal will control my life. It's now my master. And the other thing I can do is just not give it that much value. Because I've got a bigger goal in mind. I've got a faithful walk of doing what God asked me to do. Part of which is, let me take care of stuff like that. I'm actually a really good judge and I'll make sure all that stuff's taken care of in due time. (laughs) Just let it go. Nobody's going to get away with anything. It'll either be paid for by my blood or dealt with. Just leave it with me. Well, I mean, that's pretty direct instruction. I can do it or not. And if I do, I'm walking this path and despising the shame, just like Jesus did. Let's stay in chapter 18 and look at verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. So here's Jesus, and now he's arrested. I, this, is, this, is a, <laughs> this is a way of shaming that uh, something I hope nobody listening to this ever has to endure. Uh, but I have a friend who uh, took his concealed carry into New York City. He had it in a locked gun safe because he knew it wasn't allowed to have a gun in New York City. And he uh, kept the ammunition separate 
doing everything he could do to make sure he complied with the law. Went to check his gun in with the Transportation Safety Administration at the airport to follow the proper procedure and fill out the paperwork. And they said, just a second. And they brought back police and arrested him. Put him in jail. Because in New York, uh, they have deemed possession with a deadly weapon, loaded weapon, to mean that if you have one that you could get to and you have ammunition kind of within your immediate uh, uh, availability that you could go get and load the gun. So it's, it's this big stretch that they've done. And he didn't know that. And he just told the story about how how demeaning that was, how humiliating that was. What a, what a just life-changing perspective that I'm in a cell. I've, I have been taken out of my daily life when I get to make my own choices. And I've been handcuffed, put in a car, and the, and the door shut. You know, it, it, uh, it could happen to any of us. And in that case, completely unjustly. Well, this happened to Jesus. Now, I can do one of two things with that. I can either consider myself an arrested person and a shamed person, and that's all I am now the rest of my life. Or I can say, well, you know, that was an injustice. Uh, or perhaps it's a case where I did do something and I deserve to be put in jail. Okay, that, that, might, that might be another scenario that we could have. And perhaps somebody listening to this has been in jail or maybe is in jail. And, you know, Jesus' better sacrifice happened to take care of all those things. And so I can either say, enter the throne room with the throne of grace and have my heart cleansed and trust that Jesus has cared for that and now move forward and take, take advantage of the circumstances that I have as they are. Or I can live in the past and I can say only, oh, if I had only not done that. Well, you know, the past can teach us lessons, but we can't change it. And are you in a position where you're controlled by the past? Maybe it does not have anything to do with arrest, but it could be something else. Some circumstance that, that, it, that intervened where it completely altered the direction of your life in an adverse way. Can you trust God with that? And say, I can't change that, but I can change now. I can live this life from this point forward to walk in this path. He's promised that's good, that that's what he wants. That's what he's telling us. Despising the shame endured the cross for the joy set before him. Let's look at um, verse 27. Starting from 25 here. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. He's outside the, where the trial's happening here. Therefore they, the people around him, said to him, You're not also one of the disciples, are you? One of the twelve? One of the close followers of Jesus? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again. Late in one of the other accounts, Jesus and Peter's eyes lock. Peter goes away weeping bitterly. Well, it doesn't get much worse than this. Not only did Judas betray him, Jesus knew Judas was a kind of a worm. He said so. But Simon Peter, who's the rock, his name's changed from Simon to Rocky which is what Petra means. He's the guy that's the leader of the twelve. And now he said, I'm not one of them. I've denied him. That's, I mean, that's, that's really shameful. Did it deter Jesus from his path? Did he say, well, if, every, if, if I'm the only one, then I'm not going to do it anymore. Forget it. I'm not going to follow this path if no one's coming with me. No, no, he didn't do that. Why? Because that at the end of that path was his father standing at the right hand, ready to seat Jesus. You, you see, you see this, this contrast between following a road that has God at the end, wanting to please God, and reacting to shame. 
And the culture will try to shame you into conforming to it in some ways that are inconsistent with following this path to please God. And you can't serve them both. You've got to make a choice. Do you have anybody that's really close in your family? Maybe your most trusted friend that's denied you, humiliated, shamed you. Is that going to deter you from your path? Is that going to control the choices you make of who you become? Or can you just say, well, that hurts. I mean, all these things hurt Jesus. He's human. He was, he was immensely impacted by it. But compared to pleasing his father, he just didn't give it that much credence. Can we do that? Let's look at verse 39. Let's, um, I, need to, I need to run up to this a little bit. Let's start with uh, verse 31. There's going to be a couple of these here. 1831. Then Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor at the time. So here are these Jewish leaders who are supposed to hate Rome and supposed to consider anything Roman uh, a defilement and something for them to oppose. And they are pleading with Pilate to do their bidding. Then Pilate said to him, them, these Jewish leaders, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest has delivered to you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly, I'm a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said, What is truth? Now, you've got several rejections here. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And the people who are trying to put him to death are the very leaders that should be ushering him in to his kingdom. I can't think of a greater injustice than for this to happen. Have you suffered injustice? Someone has uh, criticized you unfairly. Someone has... uh, taken advantage of you? Is that going to control you? Are you going to change your behavior to make that stop? Or can you look beyond that and say, no, actually that's not going to control me. I've got something bigger. I've got a God to please here who wants me to behave in a certain way. And there's a clear distinction. We've got another rejection here in that Pilate is the head of the secular government. And he is saying, you're innocent, I want to let you go. And yet doesn't. (laughs) He cares more about his political ambition than he does doing what's right. Finally, we have kind of the most humiliating, possibly the most humiliating thing that happens short of the physical abuse. In verse 39, he says, Pilate, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Now, the Passover is a celebration of a time where the death angel passed over any house that had blood of of a sheep on the lentils of the door in the form of a cross, as it turns out. So here we are passing over death. And he says, you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. Now, we know we have a better king with a better administration. And the, one, of the, one of the terms of this king is the son, son of man. And we talked at length in this study about how son is a title of royalty where a, 
a, a, a potentate will say, today I've begotten you, you're to be to me a father, and I, I mean, I will be to you a father, you'll be to me a son. And it's a, another way of this sitting down at the right hand of the father. It's an elevation of status into a house of royalty. Barabbas means son of the father. So here we have a false son of the father who's a robber for heaven's sakes. And you've got the real son of the father who's the king of the universe. And he asks them, which of these do you want me to release? And they take the robber. This is, uh, this is just uh, unbelievable. To bring it to actual home then, now we're going to make it physical. In chapter 19, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. So now we're whipping him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. So the king has to have a crown. And they put him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So now he's being mocked. Not only physically, but also verbally. Have you been mocked? Have you taken a stand for something that you really knew was right? <clears throat> Perhaps you uh, are a, a young girl. And you've, taken a, you've decided that you want to remain chaste. Uh, there are plenty of people that will mock you for that. Perhaps you're a young man who has um, decided that you don't want to cut corners in business and you're going to have you're going to do things with integrity. There are plenty of people that mock you for that, and it hurts. It hurts to be mocked. It's very painful. It hurt. It's. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have the physical manifestation of mocking to feel the physical manifestation of mocking. It is painful to be mocked. But we have a choice. That mocking can either control our behavior and we can change and serve it. Or we can not give it much value. As compared to the joy set before us to endure the cross, despising the shame. And have Jesus say, Tim... I really was pleased by the way you live your life. Which is it going to be? We can't have both. Let's look at 1927. Oh, that's not the right one. 19... Hmm. Maybe it's 19.7. Yeah, here we go. The Jews answered him. Pilate said to them, he's talking to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. This is blasphemy, according to the Jews. Now, it actually is blasphemy if it's not true. In this particular case, it happens to be true. And Jesus had given them ample uh, ample evidence that it was true through the miracles, through his teachings. But they were unwilling to listen, unwilling to hear. And this is incredible shame. Have you had something that is true and you've been... And you have been uh, unjustly punished for a lie when you stood for something that was true. Perhaps you stood up in your family and said something that the family needed to hear and it was true. And they rejected you for it because they didn't want to hear it. Perhaps you stood up in your company and said something that was true. And people didn't want to hear it. Well, you know, you follow God in each circumstance. But if that's where God had you, and you had to suffer that, 
you have a fundamental choice. Are you going to let that mocking, that rejection control you and change your behavior? Or are you going to continue to walk in a way that says, that hurts, it's immensely painful, it might even cost you a job or something. But I have something bigger. Now, let me just say that there's nowhere in Scripture where we're to bring pain upon ourselves deliberately. And Scripture manifestly says we should not suffer for being an idiot. It actually says do not suffer for being an evildoer. I'm just going to broaden it and say we can bring suffering on ourselves because we're just being stupid. We can be selfish. We can be inconsiderate. We can uh, be judgmental. We can be self-righteous. And we can say that we're bringing this criticism or this mocking upon ourselves because we're right and they're wrong and, and, and martyr ourselves as a way of, kind of in a sick way, showing that we're right and they're wrong. And that's not what we're talking about in any of this. We're not talking about being stupid. And all of, all of us are subject to this. What we're talking about here is actually serving the living God in a way that does life the way he wants us to do it. And here's a good little test. If you're trying to show somebody up, if you're trying to prove a point to someone, if, you're try, if your goal is to be right and show that someone else is wrong, if, you're, if you feel a superiority to other people, probably good to approach that throne of grace and go to that tabernacle in heaven and get your heart cleansed. Because we're not talking here about anything that does lords over other people, even in a twisted way. What we're talking about here is a way of serving. Serving the truth. Serving by example. Jesus was rejected by the disciples. He was cast aside by his own nation. And in doing so, he defeated death. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And has given a name above every name. And has led the restoration for all things. He has completed salvation. Are we going to walk that path? Are we going to walk that path? Are we going to walk the path of just trying to get momentary benefit from avoiding shame. Let's just close with Paul. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, let's just go to 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is, is uh, or in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us about his life a bit. We can look at 2 Corinthians 11. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us a little bit about his life. In 24, 11, 24, he says, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I'm told that 39 stripes, uh, 40 would uh, kill you, so they only did 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, among false brethren, weariness, toil, sleepiness, often in hunger, thirst, fastings, often cold, nakedness, and my concern for the churches above that all. (laughs) So... This is uh, not the kind of life everybody, the typical person would say, oh, gee, I hope my life's like that. But this is Paul's life. This is what he endures on a daily basis. And here's what he says about that, going to chapter 4. He says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Well, you can see how his outward man would be perishing. He's been beaten to a pulp. <laughs> Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This is his perspective. Am I afflicted? Yes, I am. But it's just not lasting that long. Remember, our life on this earth is but a wisp of vapor compared to our internal existence. 
This is just not that long. And it's a very minute period of time in our life where we can get to know God walking by faith and prove ourselves worthy of being restored to our original purpose through serving and through casting aside sin and every entanglement and running this race the way Jesus did. Let's just go on here. Verse 18, we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. Does this sound like Hebrews chapter 11? But the things which are not seen are eternal. This is what faith is. To see that which we can't see, the eternal things. Skip down to chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether I'm in heaven, with God, in the new earth, with Jesus, or now in this life. To be well-pleasing to him. This is the goal of life. Just like Enoch. Just like Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the culmination of our life. That each one may receive the things that we did while in the body. And this momentary light affliction is going to turn into eternal weight of glory, Paul says. According to what he's done, whether good or bad, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. This is the joy set before us, that we have the opportunity to stand before God and have him say, well done, Tim. In order to do that, we lay aside these momentary lightest afflictions, and we give no value to the shame that our culture heaps on us for walking with Jesus. It's not that it doesn't hurt, it does. It's not that it isn't painful, it is. It's that it's momentary. And compared with the joy set before us, it's light. This is the better way, the word mixed with faith. And a way to be part of this administration that has a better king and a better world. And a way to be a priestly function to our friends and neighbors and family by following the priestly function of Jesus where we intercede by entering the the uh, tabernacle ourselves to receive healing and grace to help in time of need forgiveness for failings are you going to let your past control you you're going to look ahead follow jesus you're going to let your passions control you you're going to follow ahead and follow jesus are you going to let the shame of injustice or mockery control you are you going to look forward to jesus this is the example that we have and the example for us to follow. Let's close. God, I thank you for your word, for this amazing picture you've given us, that you came to heaven. Sometimes people say there's many mountains to God, and Lord, we know you're infinite, and no mountain can reach you. No mountain. So you came to us in the form of a man, lived among us, and endured this shame because of the joy set before you. And in defeating death, you've paved this path, this amazing way. Give us faith, Lord. Give us knowledge that we may believe you and walk it. That we may receive from you that which you desire to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.